Welcome to Habits for Your Happily Ever After, where we get clear about your marriage communication. Because when your relationships are strong, you're able to concentrate at work, reduce conflict at home, and receive support for your dreams. So you have the courage to live your best life. I'm Rebecca Mullen, a relationship coach living in Western Colorado, and today I get to introduce you to my new book, Six Steps to Better Marriage Communication. We're going to look today at step number one, overcome fear. We'll look at how fear gets disguised in your relationship and why those disguises tend to ignite conflict. Then we'll talk about why naming your fear tames your fear in today's habit, and I'll give you some discussion prompts to help you and your sweetheart talk about how fear is keeping intimacy at bay in your relationship. Do you know where the majority of bad communication stems from? Fear. Many of your communication conflicts start with fear, but fear hides, so it's tough to find it. Let's look at an example of how fear pollutes communication in a relationship. River and Phoenix have been living together for two years. River wants to buy a house together, but is afraid that Phoenix isn't ready for that kind of commitment. River has fantasies of their two names on the return address label of holiday cards. When River grew up, holidays were especially lonely because of divorce and division in River's family. All those childhood years when River was shuffled between houses, there was an empty feeling. River wants to fill that empty space with a promise of love and security. Two names in the left-hand corner of the envelope. That's the fix for what's always felt wrong in River's life. As you can imagine, River cares deeply about Phoenix saying yes to buying a house together, but the stakes are high and River is afraid Phoenix doesn't want that kind of commitment. So instead of laying all the cards on the table and asking Phoenix, hey, do you feel ready to buy a house together? River's inner lizard of fear thinks it's better to ask more enigmatically and says, wow, Housing prices are really dropping around here. (laughs) If we could invent some way for fearful words to come out of your mouth in a cartoon-like bubble wearing a label of warning, like with blue smoke, then Phoenix would instantly know River is afraid and it's important to pay attention. But sadly, fear wears no blue smoke. Instead, fear attacks Fear runs away. Fear ignores. Fear doesn't know how to say, I'm afraid, because even speaking those words, I'm afraid, is vulnerable and ignites more fear. Now it's Phoenix's turn to hear what River is saying. Phoenix can hear housing prices are dropping around here many different ways. Is River reporting the news? Or sounding an alarm about potential economic disaster? Phoenix doesn't know about River's envelope and the names in the left-hand corner. But we communicate with more than just our words. Humans are animals. And like other animals, our bodies have instincts. These instincts told our ancestors that a saber-toothed tiger was nearby even if we couldn't see it. 
or hear it. We could sense that tiger. And when your animal body senses danger, it will react unconsciously in order to protect you. Phoenix's animal body senses danger. But River is being purposefully casual with the comment, housing prices are dropping around here. So Phoenix doesn't recognize that the fear resides inside of River. Phoenix just feels the fear River is sending out into the relationship. Phoenix's inner lizard of fear instantly and invisibly references thousands of scenarios that might explain why this comment, housing prices are dropping, should ignite fear and then finds one. When Phoenix was eight years old, an economic downturn combined with a parent's job loss to mean that the family suddenly had to move. Phoenix had no friends at the new school. It was lonely. Bingo. Phoenix understands River's fear. Because Phoenix doesn't want River to feel this terrible loneliness, Phoenix becomes reassuring. Oh, your job is secure, River. There's nothing to worry about. (laughs) Oh, great. Now we have two people who are both afraid. They each think they understand the other person's fear, but they don't. River knows nothing about the job loss and the family move. Phoenix doesn't know about the names in the left-hand corner of the envelope. Fear isn't subtle. Fear is blinding. Fear identifies things as black or white, safe or not safe. River won't stop feeling fear and reacting to fear until the envelope is guaranteed. Phoenix won't stop feeling fear and reacting to fear until there's a safety net to make up for the job loss, the move, and the lonely new school. River wants to hear Phoenix say, I'd love to own a house with you, River. And then you know what? We could send out holiday cards with both our names and the return address label. (laughs) This is the only response that will truly put River's fears at ease and remove the fear blindness. Can you see how difficult fear makes communication? What are the chances Phoenix is going to guess it's important to talk about holiday cards at this particular moment? When Phoenix says, there's nothing to worry about, River hears, I don't want to buy a house with you. River instantly feels the burn of tears threaten to fall, so quickly turns and leaves the room. Phoenix, who who has no idea what just happened, tosses hands in the air and says, "What, What? What did I just do? Isn't it ironic that River's intention to avoid rejection inspires this coy approach? But that's the same coy vagueness that causes Phoenix to become afraid of something completely different and miss the moment of connection with River. Both people feel rejected because River didn't ask cleanly. And I'm just going to pause here for a minute to mention, if you want a review of how to ask cleanly, listen to episode number one of this podcast or... Stick around because we'll be discussing Clean Asks two weeks from now in step three of Six Steps to Better Marriage Communication. Okay, back to the story. 
Fear is the reason you don't know how to ask cleanly for what you want. Naive misunderstandings like this one between River and Phoenix happen all the time in marriage. The problem is that unclarified misunderstandings like this one turn into wounds. You don't want to invest in a future with me? Walls go up. I say the simplest thing and you're mad. Backs get turned, rejection gets anchored, and love fades. We all feel the need to protect ourselves, but ironically, this sort of protection can drive the intimacy we crave further away than ever. This is why it's imperative to fully understand the warning signs that your fearful inner lizard is sending and learn to overcome your fear. Let's look at some of fear's many disguises. The words Phoenix offered, your job is secure, were meant to reassure River, but Phoenix didn't understand River's fear. River didn't understand the fear. River didn't understand the fear because the strategy River used to hide that fear was avoidance. River could have used a number of other disguises to hide fear, like suspicion or anger or control. Would you have known it was fear that made River ask for, for an envelope return address promise to buy a house with the words, housing prices are dropping around here? Yeah, probably not. Fear thinks it's being helpful when it wears disguises. It is not helpful, not helpful at all. It's confusing, it's maddening, it's frustrating. Your sweetheart can't hear you because your words are disguised. Let's explore a few other disguises that fear wears so you can recognize it in yourself and in your sweetheart. Let's look a little deeper at how fear disguised as avoidance haunts your relationship. Avoidance is what River used to hide from fear. Housing prices are dropping around here. Avoidance works well for people who want to run away from the potential conflict of a situation. Avoidance is sort of like that hot potato game you played as a child. Hot, 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 drop it, drop it, don't touch it. Avoidance works well for people who want to drop hold of their fear. Oh, darn. Except that then fear is just lingering about, haunting the entire room by causing complete confusion. When you disguise fear as avoidance, you might notice the following sensations in your body. You might feel an airy, spacey, ungrounded feeling in your limbs. You might feel a feeling of confusion or dizziness. You might notice you have no words, none. You, you open your mouth to speak and there's nothing. Or maybe your eyes dart about. You're looking for a handle to hold or a place to land. But again, there's nothing, just air and space and more nothingness. An ungrounded or hollow feeling is an identifier if your strategy to disguise fear is avoidance. And if you tend to disguise fear as avoidance, you will be a cave of emptiness with nothing to offer your sweetheart. Real attractive, right? Let's look at a different disguise. Fear disguised as suspicion. Fear disguised as suspicion undermines your relationship. 
Suspicion is sort of the opposite of avoidance. With suspicion, instead of backing away from conflict, River would assume conflict is inevitable and go looking for it. Instead of housing prices are dropping around here, River could see evidence for all sorts of reasons Phoenix didn't want to buy the house. The two of them are at the hardware store, and Phoenix doesn't want to buy mousetraps. Aha! Thinks River. Phoenix doesn't care if our home gets overrun with rodents because Phoenix has no plans to stay with me long term. Suspicion shows up in people who have great imaginations and are prone to make assumptions. Suspicious people build a case and gather evidence to prove their case. The problem is that their case is based on a wounded way of seeing the world. They were hurt, so they expect the world to hurt them. Oh, and now, since they treat the world the way they were treated, they actually create the world they fear. If you use suspicion to disguise your fear, you make intimacy difficult because you can only see your past and the ways you were wounded in your sweetheart's eyes, rather than embracing the way your sweetheart wants to help you heal. In your body, you might notice the following sensations. Your eyes dart around to see things that go on the list of evidence. You're chewing and stewing over details ad nauseum. Or you have a tight, churning feeling in your stomach or a tight throat. A regular inner voice that says, I knew it, then fills in the blank with the imagined scenario. Aha, I knew it is a key identifier if you hide your fear with suspicion. If you tend to disguise fear as suspicion, you'll have a list of reasons your sweetheart fails you. Now let's look at fear disguised as anger. Because fear disguised as anger blows up your relationship. Anger can be seen like suspicion that escapes in an explosion. Our fears, until they are overcome, are the lens through which we see the world. River is afraid Phoenix doesn't want to make a commitment. When fear becomes the lens for viewing the world, River has microscopic vision for every time Phoenix demonstrates a lack of commitment. This is suspicion, right? Then River gets angry about those pieces of, quote, evidence. Instead of housing prices are dropping around here, when River uses anger to disguise fear, River accuses Phoenix. You never do anything around this house. Or, Phoenix, I am so sick of your lack of commitment to this house. The sink gets clogged and I have to drain it. It snows and I have to shovel. Have you ever, ever once cleaned a bathroom since we moved in here? The anger or accusation model is used to hide fear by people who tend to blame or find fault. There's a lot of tension that gets stored in your body when you're afraid. And a burst of anger is a great release. Oh, ah except that it destroys relationships. When you can use anger to disguise fear, you make intimacy difficult because you blow up moments of intimacy and cause fear in the heart of your sweetheart. In your body, you might notice the following sensations. A hot, burning feeling under your skin. A feeling of pressure that might manifest as headaches. A quick temper about tiny, unrelated things. Bursts of any kind, bursts of language, energy, or eating, energy that comes in waves. Out 
outbursts are key identifiers if your strategy to avoid fear is anger. And if you tend to disguise fear as anger, you will often find fault with your sweetheart. Let's look at one more. Let's look at how fear disguised as control strangles your relationship. Instead of housing prices are dropping around here, River could say, we have an appointment with a realtor on Saturday at 11 o'clock. The control model to keep fear at bay works well because you go through the world fixing what everyone else got wrong. It doesn't even feel scary because you can fix everything. People resort to this disguise for a combination of reasons, avoiding conflict or a secret pride that their way of seeing the world is superior. Control is certainly one way to avoid anger for those who don't like explosions. Oh, darn. Until the illness, the earthquake, or the job loss comes along that is sadly out of your control. If you use control to disguise fear, you make intimacy difficult because you erase your sweetheart's individuality. There's no room for variety, an alternative way, or frankly, your sweetheart. In your body, you might notice the following sensations. You know the universal truth for how the world works. The fork tines go down in the dishwasher. Why doesn't everyone realize this? Or a tightness in your hands, your core, or your voice. You fix the world. If the fork tines are aimed tine up, well, then you turn them the right way and point them down. Obvious. My way or the highway is a key identifier for control to use to hide fear. And if you tend to disguise fear as control, you'll be constantly trying to change your sweetheart into someone else. How do you disguise fear? What protection strategies do you employ? These are some of the ways that people disguise fear, but it's not an exhaustive list. The key thing to remember is that these disguises are fear's way of trying to protect you. Protection is a worthy intention. When you can approach yourself or your sweetheart with this gentle and kind assumption that fear is an attempt at protection, you can cultivate compassion and understanding, which open the door wide to cultivate intimacy. Are you enjoying today's episode? Then you'll love my book, Six Steps to Better Marriage Communication. Please take a moment to pause this podcast and click on the link to my website found in the show notes, RebeccaMullenCoaching.com, and order your copy of my book. You'll get actionable strategies to improve the way you talk with your sweetheart, and that means greater intimacy and happiness for you. Plus, it's a great way to show your support for this podcast and for my work. Okay, let's get back to the show. To help you find the fear that's haunting your relationship, use the strategy, naming is taming. When you name your fear, it's instantly tamed. And your fear has less chance of sabotaging your relationship communication. So this week's habit for your happily ever after is to give your fear a name. Your inner lizard is afraid. And fear doesn't speak in dulcet, clear tones. Fear is alarmist, urgent, and emotional. 
so it confuses you and everyone else around you. To overcome fear, name what is frightening you. It's amazing how powerful this is. It's also incredibly difficult. If River could have named fear, it would have sounded like this. Phoenix, I'm afraid you don't want what I want. I want to send out holiday cards with our names in the corner for years and decades to come, and I'm afraid you won't want this. I'm afraid you won't want this because my parents didn't know how to do this, and as a result, I really don't know how to do it. And when I don't know how to do something, it's so big and confusing and overwhelming that I get afraid. And that's when I imagine you leaving me or not wanting to buy a house with me. That's very clear, right? That's how you overcome fear. Naming the fear tames the fear. It doesn't sound so big and hairy and scary like that, right? Here's the problem. It's tough to hear your lizard fears. Even when you truly try to listen to your lizard, it's still tough. You probably just catch phrases from your lizard like, get out or hide. Be patient and tenacious about listening to your fear. Hide is all that River could hear at first, and that's why housing prices are dropping around here <laughs> came out so enigmatic. So your task this week is to name your inner lizard. That habit will help you find your happily ever after. Many of my clients name their inner lizard who sends out those fear signals, and I recommend that you name yours as well. I mean, actually, personify your fear and give it a name. I learned this from my teacher Martha Beck in her great book, Finding Your Own North Star. When you name your fear, you can see your fear as separate from yourself. This small distance is amazing at helping you deal with your fear rather than being ruled by your fear. It's fun to hear the variety of personalities people's inner lizard takes on. I've seen fear manifest as an enormous, terrifying T-Rex who has such tiny arms they're completely helpless. This is fear that tends to wear the disguise of control and then can't affect much change. I've also seen fear manifest as a fish who tragically disappears in the water the instant someone reaches out. Fear that tends to wear the disguise of suspicion, so never get close or intimate. I wonder what form your fear takes. I also wonder how your fear behaves. How does your fear try to protect you? Remember the classic forms fear takes? Fight, flight, freeze, or fawn? Is your fear great at the giant roar, like fighting? Or is your fear better at the disappearing act of freezing? Some people run away the instant they're afraid. Flight. While others become niceness embodied as a way to fix a fearful situation. Fawn. My inner lizard's name is Lance. Sometimes Lance is a lassoing lizard. My biggest fears involve people leaving me. Lance thinks he's my hero and chases people down, first lassoing them, then running around and around and around them so they're tied so close to me they can't escape. The people close to me will hear Lance say, where are you going? Why do you have to go? What time will you be home? What do you want for dinner? Do you want asparagus or salad? What kind of dressing do you want on the salad? Where did you say you were going again? What time will you be home? 
Yes, yes. The people I love get put in a prison of questions. Isn't that thoughtful of my inner lizard named Lance? Other times, Lance is a long spear. Lance is able to pierce the people who cause me fear long before they get anywhere close to me. Get away. Let me do it. You're always doing it wrong. Lance has made it tough for me to foster sweet, tender intimacy. Lance's job is either to secure relationships or fend them off before they get dangerously close. But now that I can see Lance so clearly, I can both laugh at Lance and have compassion for Lance. The best part about naming Lance is that I notice Lance isn't me. Lance is my fear, and I don't have to be identified by my fear. When you can find even a tiny bit of distance from your fear, realizing your fear isn't who you are, but rather a feeling you're having that will pass, you can tame your fear much more easily. So try this for your habit, for your happily ever after. Imagine your fear, your inner lizard embodied. What does your fear look like? How does your fear behave when it wants to keep you safe? Now give your fear a name. And after you've named your fear and you see you have an idea of its character, buy a stuffed animal or some other tchotchke so you can literally see your fear. This tiny symbol allows you to see your fear on the outside of your body. And it will help you deal better with your fear. You get less attached to your fear. Your fear isn't you. You can see your fear as separate, a feeling. This external representation of your fear allows you to listen to your fear more easily. The more carefully you listen, the better you'll get at hearing precisely what it is you're afraid of. And once you know about that precise fear, I have more strategies in my book for dealing with that fear so it doesn't poison your relationship communication. Remember, you can order that book by clicking the link in the show notes. So this week's habit for your happily ever after is to name your fear. I'm so curious. What is your fear's name? How does your fear behave? Is your fear like my lance, spearing people or roping them up so tightly they can't move? Or does your fear behave differently? We've arrived at our date night discussion segment. And this week we'll talk about the typical disguises your fear might wear. Think of a time long ago when you can see how a conflict you had with your sweetheart was polluted with fear. When you choose a long ago conflict, fear has lost its juice and it's easier to spot the disguise. Then describe these disguises to each other. What is your river and phoenix moment of shared fear? How do these disguises mess with your relationship communication? Now that you can see the fear and it's not as scary, how can you laugh about the miscommunication fear caused? Now that you've learned how fear pollutes your relationship, how can you do things differently going forward? Maybe try a script, something like this. When I get afraid... I'm tempted to disguise fear as anger. 
or maybe for you it's suspicion or control or avoidance or something else. And I can see how when I behave angrily, it pushes you away. That's not what I want. And I can't promise that I won't get afraid. So can you help me recognize that maybe my anger is fear? It might help if you tease me or give me a hug. Those are things that will help me to relax my fear. What do you notice about your relationship when you talk about fear in this sort of way? Today's show was snagged right out of my new book. So before I say goodbye, I want to remind you once again to click the link in the show notes and order a copy of my book, Six Steps to Better Marriage Communication. That's it for today. I'm Rebecca Mullen, and this has been Habits for Your Happily Ever After, where we get clear about your marriage communication. Because when your relationships are strong, you're better able to concentrate at work, reduce conflict at home, and receive support for your dreams so you can have the courage to live your best life. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd be grateful if you'd send a link to your friend. Habits for Your Happily Ever After is produced by Grace Smith. All our music and sound comes from Walk West Productions. I'm Rebecca Mullen. Thanks for including me in your relationship today.